0: Express yourself, you art, and show the world your heart, express yourself, you art, and show the world your heart, you're in the know with Esther, I'm And show the
1: world your heart. Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha everyone.
1: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Our underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. Thank you for your generous support. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations at Lakeshore Public Radio. Art in the Air streams live at wvlp.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m. Also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash A-O-T-A. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at Breck, or through our Facebook page. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air... Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an art on the air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so. So we continue to bring you great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting art on the air. And next on Art in the Air, we have someone who's not a stranger, but he's coming to us in a whole different mode, uh, talking about role-playing and everything like that with Dungeons and Dragons, but it's going to be taken to another level that you can actually watch it. Uh, Dustin Richie, welcome to Art in the Air and telling us about your role seekers.
3: Yeah. Thank aloha. you so much for having me. Yeah, we're we're really excited. Uh, we are a group of six family and friends that decided one day that we were going to start to live stream our. Dungeons and Dragons games. So we are an unofficial Dungeons and Dragons group, um, but we we stream via Twitch and online at RollSeekers.com. You can find us on all social media channels at RollSeekers. And and what we decided to do is we, we wanted to tell really epic tales of sub-creation and catastrophe to coin some Tolkien terms. But really what it is, is it's about us getting together and sharing our love of the game and our love of stories with anyone who wants to watch.
1: Tell us. Uh, for the audience that doesn't know what Dungeons and Dragons are, they've they've heard it, but uh, what is Dungeons and Dragons and and just a quick little origin story, uh, how that is and what you do with it.
3: Yeah, so Dungeons and Dragons, I'm not a a D&D historian, but it was uh, developed out of the Midwest. And what it is, is it's a tabletop role-playing game. So the best way I can describe it is it's it's a group of people sitting around a table um, doing uh, communal storytelling. It's kind of like sitting around the fire telling ghost stories. Uh, there are rules. You roll dice. You have uh, large textbooks worth of rules. But really, what it boils down to is you can do anything your imagination, uh, anything that you can come up with in your imagination. So, our game actually takes place in a completely constructed world. I've been actually writing it since I was in about fifth grade. It's called uh, The Legend of Nobel. And so, our games are going to be taking place inside of that world. And what it is, is as I always tell new players, you come into a room and I say, uh there's there's a you're in a dark room and it's cold and you see a little bit of light coming from under the door. What do you do? And the players then say, "Well, I want to go and look at the door. I want to I want to figure out what's going on." And you roll dice to see if you can maybe break the door or you could open the door. Um and what happens is is it's essentially it, it's it allows your mind to just completely expand. So anybody who's a fan of video games, anybody who's a fan of role-playing games, uh and you have those constraints, right, where you're you're making choices. In Dungeons & Dragons, there are no constraints. And what's really wild is no matter how much we prepare, every game is also improvised. So as you're watching it, we're coming up with things on the fly. I, uh, I'm i responding to things that players are doing that I could never have any idea that, of what they would do. And it's, it's this give and take. It's this reciprocal relationship. and It's really fun.
2: So what type of props are involved? I know about the dice, but what else do
3: you use? Well, we use so so there are there are seven dice that are usually used. They run all the way from a D four to a D twenty D representing the sides of the dice. So the twenty sided dice is the fabled dice that when people look at it, they're they're always what is that dice? Uh, that's pretty much lets you do whatever you'd like to do. But really, in order to play Dungeons and Dragons, you only need your imagination. Uh, that's that's and, and maybe a good player's handbook uh, and a, pe- a piece of paper and pencil, but. But we have gone a little bit more extreme. My, I'm I'm very blessed that my wife, who is one of the role seekers, uh, she is she is an avid Dungeons and Dragons player. So we have little miniatures, little miniature figures, kind of like uh, chess sets. Uh, we have sculptures. We have uh, bought a lot of what's called Dwarven Forge. They're these beautiful modular terrains, so it looks like forests and mountains and dungeons and. Uh, and so really, you can add as much or as little as you'd like. The only thing you need is a good imagination and a fun story, uh, but you can go all out. And uh, if you come and watch some role seekers, we've gone a little bit all out. So
1: <laughs> what you say about watching role seekers, maybe our audience would be this is something that you're not just doing on your own. They can actually watch the thing. And how does that all work?
3: So what we decided to do was we were inspired by the gaming community. So the gaming community has a lot of live streams out there that are doing Dungeons and Dragons, um, but a lot of them are over uh, a lot of them over zoom. And that was even pre pandemic. There were, there were a lot of people that were playing over zoom and we were really inspired by the group uh, dimension 20 and critical role, critical role is kind of the, the upper echelon. And so what we did is we really wanted to tell stories and we wanted to be able to share them. So, We've set up about four different cameras actually downstairs in my basement. (laughs) And uh, we've got it hooked up like a home studio. And you can actually see all of the players playing the game. And what's really wild is it's not simply like, oh, I'm going to watch someone play Monopoly. What's happening is you're sitting and you actually get to start to be involved in the story. Uh, So watching other groups play this game, um, what ends up happening is people start to fall in love with the characters. They start to fall in love with the environments, the the locales. And so one of the things that I did when I was in uh, undergrad and in graduate school is I studied narrative dynamic. So I, I always try to make a consistent story. And sometimes it's a little wacky. Sometimes it's a little... It's a little zany, but uh, there's always it's always a little bit fun, and we always try to tie it back into the human condition. So you can watch that. What's the website? book on tape with action. (laughs) That's exactly it's. It's like watch. It's so we actually have it on online via YouTube. Uh, We have it on Twitch. Those are the places that you can stream it. Uh, It's on our website as well. But we also created a podcast because really it's it's like listening to a book on tape.
1: Tell us quickly the website before we wrap up.
3: Oh, rollseekers.com. So it's roll as in your rolling dice, R-O-L-L, and you can find us anywhere.
1: And that's Dustin Ritchie, who's the Dungeon Master and the Roll Seekers. You can find them online. Thanks for coming on Art on the Air Spotlight.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. We'd like to welcome to Art in the Air, Elise Kiermani and Tito Sanchez William. They are the new directors. Tito is the artistic director, and uh, Elise is the managing director for the Dunes Art Foundation, which you know produces Dunes Summer Theater. But they are currently doing some neat production things uh, for Halloween and for the holiday season. They did the Halloween already, and that's upcoming. So, welcome to Art in the Air, both of you.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
1: Hi. Well, Tito, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. Uh, Like, I I like to say, like, uh, how you got from where you were to where you are, but like schools and things and what you've done. Go ahead.
4: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: So the first thing about me is that
4: um, I was born in South America. I was born in Ecuador. And I grew up there and I came to the States when I was 14 years old, which was really a big shock for me, culture-wise. To go from all speaking Spanish and my culture in Ecuador to immediately United States and the shock of the language barrier. I did not, and I want to stress this out, did not um, overcome the language barrier very easily. It was very difficult for me. I even refused in the very beginning to speak any English because whenever I would speak, imagine my accent about 20 times even thicker. You wouldn't even understand what I was saying. <laughs> and so immediately... From that barrier, I had to overcome it in order to even uh, kind of like communicate with people here because it was difficult. You know, you're in high school, you, you're you speaking Spanish and you're trying to do English and people make fun of you. So from there, um, it, it was really difficult just trying to move forward as a person, as an individual, or even as a student, because the language is a big deal. So from there, I didn't really know what to do. I was in high school and I just didn't know what to do. My parents were asking me, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I have no idea. Maybe an engineer, maybe a psychologist. I don't know. <laughs> so from there, I was always very attractive to movies, uh, theater, anything that was entertainment. I enjoyed it more than anything, more than anything. So when I actually wanted to be an actor and I told this to my parents, they made fun of me. and They said, no, no, no way. <laughs> You're gonna start. <laughs> You're not. That's not. That's not a career. That's not a real thing. That's a hobby. You do that on the side. And I said no, but I really want to do this. And they said no, 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 no. So I listened to them. I didn't enroll in any acting classes or anything. Um, then when I went to college, I did an internship that completely changed my life, and it was the Disney College Internship, and that was amazing. It, it, I mean. That opened my eyes to who I was, what I wanted to do, why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I go there to a lot of people that don't know each other, and you meet everybody in all the different areas of the parks. So when I went there, I was working in the outdoor food area, and I was the person that would sell you the popcorn and the hot dog and the pretzels in the Disney parks, if you've ever been. I don't know. Have you been?
1: Oh, yeah. Many times. Yeah.
4: <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. It's very magical. And within that, you know, I was doing the cashier and I was like, ah, this is, don't, I don't like it. It's, it's Disney World is great, but I wanted more. I really wanted to do the entertainment. And I got to meet a lot of people in different parties that they will pull, put for this TPs. And like five, six, seven different people later on came to me and said, you know, Theo, I really think you should audition for this entertainment thing. Like, you should be a character. You should be in the parades. And I said, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. And it's like, no, no. Look, trust me. You're you're what they're looking for. Just go for it. I'm like, I was extremely intimidated. I had never done anything on stage, any addition nothing. So I, I go there with two friends. They kind of really convinced me and pushed me to do this. And I was sweating. I was ridiculously nervous. And it was pretty much an experience like American Idol. It was, uh, you go there. They put a number on you. I was 156 and there were like 500 something people. And they give you, they do the measurement, they give you a height. And the reason why the height matters is because they immediately cut depending on the height. So if you are, from what I remember, I think if you're like between 5'7 to 5'9, you can do specific characters like Pluto and Bosleyer and all that. And I was so excited to do those characters because that was my height. So they didn't kick me out in the beginning because apparently they had a space for my height. So I went ahead, I auditioned and I was three phases. The first phase was kind of like a dancing thing. You had to uh, learn a choreography in five, 10 minutes and then just do it. And if you mess up, Disney World was really nice about it. And they said, we're not looking for professional dancers. We're just looking for people to kind of like go with it, see what you do with the choreography, see where you're at. And more than anything, if you mess up, they said at all times the Disney way, smile, smile, and
2: improvise,
4: improvise, <laughs> smile. <laughs> so I did a routine, completely messed it up. And I do mean completely messed it up. But I was smiling my way through. I was good energy. I was like, all right, uh, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'll do it. Um, somehow it worked out. They didn't kick me out. They caught a lot of people after the routine. And I do mean a lot of people and then they went to the second phase which this phase i really liked they tell you that you're going to do improv- improvisation and that you're supposed to be a character but they tell you don't act human act cartoonish so think of all physicality that human beings do and just make it even bigger way bigger because when you're in the um, in the costume right your movements really get restricted by how much you move so everything you had to do was, like, really big and really energized. So then I did it, and somehow I went to the second phase, I mean, to the, to the last phase. And the last phase, it was this puppet thing. They give you this two pinball um, balls with, like, an eye painting on it, and you put it in your, in your middle finger, and then you immediately have to pretend to do puppets, <laughs> So (laughs) I never had done puppets. No idea what I was doing, but they kind of tell you what they're looking for. They put a song, and you have to sing with your hand and these little eyes, pretend that it's a puppet, and you just do it and have fun. And, again, I went with it. Somehow, I don't know, they liked me. And then from 500-something people, it was 11 of us, and they said yes to me. And I was like, oh, awesome. I don't know what I did, but I got it. (laughs) I never getting it. I was so excited, we're in the circle. The person comes uh, to us and says, well, we love you, you're everything we're looking for, you're great, you're gonna fit, welcome to the Walt business World Company, uh, except you, you, and he pointed to me. I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh no, what did I do wrong? So then everybody goes, they get like this invitations with this uh, contract and everything. He pulls me to the side and he says, you know, technically uh, we're not allowed to audition. I don't even know how you went through this whole process. And I asked him, why? And he said, well, because you are already working for us under a contract, under the college program internship. So you're not allowed to just jump from one area to the next. And I said, why not? That's that's so sad. And he said, no, no, because we're very strict. We have these rules. But you know what? You were great. Uh, So why don't you, at the end of it, come back and try? And I said, "Okay," And I did. And this time, I didn't even make it past the first phase because there was no space for my for my height <laughs> they didn't need anybody so immediately got destroyed I was like oh no I really wanted to work for the parks but I went back to Florida um Miami uh when I was doing college and I really 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 liked the experience and I really just love the idea of performing entertaining and then I just got an acting class in a little studio in Coral Gables in Florida. And from there, that's the rest. I fell in love with theater immediately, the passion. My first show was on a musical with an ensemble. I did Cabaret. And I'm telling you, the, 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 the experience of the butterflies when you go on stage was like nothing I've ever felt before. So it didn't matter if I didn't make any money. It didn't matter if anybody approved of me doing this thing. I just wanted to do it. And I I fell so hard into it. I did as many productions as I could with that company in college. And then my wife, who was um, always, I mean, not my wife, my girlfriend at the time. She's my wife now. (laughs) My girlfriend at the time, she decided, hey, if you're really about it, go ahead and do grad school. So I did. I auditioned for a new school. I got in and it was really, really, really difficult three years. But once I made it through, I just I just felt more strong about theater and doing theater and the power it has, because that's kind of like the experience that I got during grad school. But, yeah, I think I'm talking a lot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
2: that's it's, that's great. It's a, it's a whirlwind, isn't it? Yeah. The whole experience. So, Elise, why don't you... Uh... Why don't you tell us, like, where you went to high school, which I know the answer to, but... Yes, um, you know, yes. But... Well,
5: yes. I grew up here. I grew up in Michigan City. I'm one of eight shops So there's a bunch of us around that passed through the town uh, for the last, I don't know how many decades. Um, <laughs> I left when I was 18. I went to college, um, graduated with music composition, went to Chicago, got a master's, and then uh, L.A., and then New York for 25 years. Um, I'm married with my husband for about 35 years, and then we moved back here to Michigan City um, to be with my mother, who is 94. So that's my uh, circle.
2: (laughs) 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 So... um, so where did you meet your husband then? I met, I was teaching his mother
5: uh, piano lessons in college. <laughs> so we go back a really long time. And um, uh, so, yeah, we're talking about the, the early 80s is when I met him.
2: So was he? is he involved, um, in what way is he involved with your work? Has he been, is he part of? The arts, or is he just your biggest well, he's an, supporter?
5: He's an, e, he's an ER physician, so he just mm-hmm. got off three nights working in Porter Regional ER, actually seeing lots of COVID. So, um, but yes, he he has been very involved with my work for for many many years. Um, even at the Dunes, he's he's helping as a volunteer and. Um, so he's seen a lot of crazy stuff over the years, mm-hmm. a lot of performances. And I have, um, I started my company in, uh, 2009, I think is when we got our 501 C three mission productions. And we've done a lot of films and experimental performances and, um, our work is showed, you know, all over the world. um, but since I got this job <laughs> with the Dunes, everything is on pause, which is fine. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm very excited about uh, where we are at the Dunes. We have a, um, about six new board members, a lot of exciting um, energy. We're putting a lot of work into renovating the space and getting it ready for possibly doing outdoor performances if COVID is still an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're just really excited. I'm very excited to work with Tito. He's amazing, (laughs) a really good energy. I love his inclusiveness and uh, diversity in terms of um, different cultures, using different cultures in the work that we're doing and different languages. There'll be a lot of uh, bilingual uh, work. And um, actors from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting to see uh, this kind of new energy, a lot of um,
2: new new faces. Well, and you okay. kind of you you sort of ushered that in though when you. I think it's been about two years you, since you've been back in the area, and you just you brought in this like whole breath of new energy and creativeness and collaboration no. which mm-hmm. was so beautiful and so yeah. to see the see the collaboration between you and Tito now is just so fulfilling like you nice. said like, it's wonderful the yeah. um, to include all the cultures that we live with, mm-hmm. and, um, because this is like a chance where we are a global community now. It's like it's really a chance to become a global community. So I so applaud the work you're doing. And which which brings it's right me to here the, in Michigan City, which is like so
1: fabulous. Which brings me to the, the point for our audience. We're talking about the Dunes Summer Theater, even though the Dune's, Dunes Arts Foundation is the uh, overall title. And mm-hmm. uh, so real briefly, tell us how you both came to that. I mean, you know, probably moving back to the area or such, but uh, just tell us about that. Uh, we previously had Jeff uh, Jeffrey Baumgartner on and Amy Black. Uh, and of course, they suffered through uh, uh, canceling the season and the vandalism. Mm-hmm. But tell us how you got yeah. involved in some of the recovery from that.
5: Well. Well, Tito and I have been on the board of directors for, I've been, it's probably going to um, be two years, right?
1: Yeah, it's going to be
4: two years. Yeah. So like so, a year and a half.
1: So you were part right. of that. The, the problems with the renovation and things like that. And oh, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. We've been through that. I've been on the secretary of the board of directors for at least a year now. So um, I was starting to get... Um, a little bit more involved well even in 2019 both Tito and I Tito was Mm -hmm. teaching and I was working the box office so we've been very involved um and uh so you know um Amy had decided to take a little break as well Mm -hmm. as Jeffrey did so we uh stepped in and uh we either sink or swim, and we decided to swim. So. <laughs> and, uh, it's been fun. It's a ride. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, you recently did yeah. a Halloween thing. Uh, talk briefly about that, because that's going to uh, meld into our next uh, thing is about what you got coming up in December. So tell us about what you did with that, because it was all virtual, but uh, uh, yeah. how you've expanded that.
4: So the idea was, uh, obviously because COVID-19, uh, we missed theater and I was just crazy to do anything. And I had to do Zoom, um, a lot for my private teaching and theater and Spanish. I, I teach privately online. So I already was familiar with this, with the medium. So I decided, why not? Why not do Zoom? What specifically, I had no idea. I just knew that I wanted to do it. Um, and then I found something which is wonderful in Disney Plus called Hamilton. Maybe you heard about it. <laughs> and, and that immediately, when I saw it, I was very inspired by how they took the old and they made it new. And so I was thinking of what can I do that um, and I started looking at the public domain because remember the public domain, the beautiful thing is that I don't have to worry about copyrights. Right. So, because of that, it's all free. I can choose what to do, how to do it. And in finding this Halloween stories, I found a lot of stories that were, I thought, appropriate for children. They were fun. They were approachable. Um, they had a little lesson on it and they had that kind of like a spooky feeling to it. So, that's how I decided to do the cold readings. I wanted to do, put music in it because kids love music. And I just got any and every actor friend that I've met through the years to volunteer their time and help me. Hey, this is for the family kids. Do you want to do it? And believe it or not, they were all excited to do it. And they jumped right into it because they're also missing theater. A performer's, you know, energy is performing. So, they know, we're very excited to do it.
5: Yeah. And I think also we are aware that children are um – probably at home and Mm -hmm. might be missing their story time that they got at school or at the libraries. And I think that's what we're really trying to do is we're picking some older folklore, um, stories, um, from our culture and other cultures. And we want an educational aspect to this. So we do always have a little link where the, um, the family can get the texts and, Mm -hmm. um, the, so the Christmas story is is similar to the uh, Halloween and you can see all of this for free um, on our website, although we are encouraging donations if people can because of course we're a nonprofit and it would um, exactly. be helpful. So we're suggesting five dollars per story, but uh, the links will be there if you if you don't or can't pay. And uh, the site is, um, shall I go to it now oh, please, or later? Oh, please, <laughs> so we've shortened We shortened our, our URL. It used to be dunesartsfoundation.org, and now it's dunesarts.org. So mm-hmm. D-U-N-E-S-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G,
4: dunesarts.org.
1: And when do those go up? Are they up yet, or uh, when do you plan to release them?
4: That- the Halloween are up already now, right. but the Christmas ones um, we decided we're gonna put them by December sixth.
1: They'll be available. Excellent. So yeah,
2: it's, it's perfect because we really need to nurture our children's love of the arts, especially during this time. So, yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I just posted on Facebook a meme I did that about how. Uh, and I said, I, in my 40 some years, I've seen this that kids that are involved in theater, music, dance, and everything like that, that's sometimes the only reason they show up to school. And I said, in my experience, that's the case. While I've had some really intelligent kids and motivated kids in school, I also had some kids that didn't find their niche until they found theater and theater courses and all encompassing arts. So, so what's your plans for 2021? I know with COVID, it's hard to predict, and we'll talk a little bit about how it personally impacted you also, but what's uh, what's Dune Summer Theater looking to do, if possible?
5: Yeah, we well, we have some plans. We've already, um, something that Amy mm-hmm. Black started, uh, we put a new roof on our pavilion, which is across the street. It was covered in weeds and uh, holes in the roof and very, you know, um, graffiti and everything. So we have a beautiful Mm -hmm. new metal roof on that. And uh, we also built a little uh, wood deck in the back by the cabins. And we plan to have small performances there as well as we're talking. And I I don't want to say any specifics, but we're thinking about doing some classic uh, plays, um, site specific using the cabins and the woods and, having people come and sit down on blankets and maybe bring their own dinner, maybe Mm -hmm. five to seven um, and bring their lawn chairs and kind of, it's going to be in the round, meaning that the audience is going to have to turn their chair maybe to see another (laughs) scene that's by the fire or coming out of the woods. So we're really, really excited about taking theater and, and, you know, uh, taking Mm -hmm. it
2: outside, hopefully. So do you, have you estimated what kind of capacity you might be able to entertain? Yeah, I
5: I think that with social Mm -hmm. distancing, um, I think, Tito, didn't they say maybe 100 capacity?
4: Yeah, because it's, it's a lot of space. It's a lot of open space. So especially if you come in groups, you know, as a family, which is right. pretty much what we're hoping that happens, then you can bottle up and it, you can sit between, you know, spaces between each other um, and just enjoy the fresh air. It's safer. Uh, we would still want people to wear masks just to, like, tighten you know the safety guidelines of COVID-19 whatever happens right we don't know what's going to happen but we can at least start preparing and aiming to no matter what we really want to do theater we really really want to do theater in 2021 very good so what
2: do you think what do you imagine rehearsals will be like I mean have you been thinking about those yeah
4: yeah we're thinking about that but yeah at least go ahead
2: Oh, I was just going to say Tito had a wonderful idea
5: about bringing in a core group for the summer mm. and we would quarantine them. We'll test them. They'll live together in the cabins and then we can reuse them. For, well, can I say, I think we're talking about a cabaret um, yeah. night, which would include all sorts of comedy and, and mm-hmm. music and dance possibly. And then we have two other productions that we can't talk about yet, but um, that, that we're talking that if, if the uh, actors are living as a family, then maybe, yeah. you know, in rehearsal, they, um, they might have to wear masks, but um, not in performances, hopefully. Mm-hmm.
1: So tell us a little bit, each of you, uh, how COVID has personally impacted you in terms of a change of routine. You know, we just have a few minutes left here, but yeah, each of you touch on that real quickly.
4: Tito? Um, yeah, it's changed a lot because I'm a person that loves to interact with people. I feed from the energy of a light classroom and having the kids and everybody just me teaching and being present because I see teaching very similar to, um, to performing. It's, you have this monologue, you have this lesson you have to do, you get in front of the kids and and then you do it seven times. Um, I was teaching in La Porte Middle School. God um, bless you. and I was doing, <laughs> I was doing, um, uh, preparing for college and career development. So I was an elective and I had seven different classes, 176 students, you know, it's like my little audience there. I get to do my lesson. They love the class. And it really, it really hit me. It really hit me to have to be stuck in my home, not see my students. Uh, we did the zoom, but no, no, like most, most of them didn't like it. Most of them didn't like it. So I had to just make my peace with this is what's going on. You know, I don't get to go outside. I don't get to see my students. I don't get to be around people and I just have to be stuck here. The good thing about it is that I'm a new father. Um, my my a newborn son now, he's nine months, but by the time that he was, you know, uh, born, he was only three months. So that actually in a positive way, affected me that I connected more to my baby and I get to spend more time with my baby that I wouldn't otherwise have. So even though it's been difficult, I saw it as a blessing in disguise because now I'm extremely connected with my son. I still am because I'm so stuck here. So (laughs) I moved everything to online. Um, We have a routine when the baby sleeps and when he wakes up, I have my daddy time. She has her mommy time. And right now it's mommy time because I'm doing this. So, yeah.
1: Very good. Uh, Real quick, Elise, we have about 30 seconds. Yours, quick story.
5: Yeah. So, um, my life has not changed too much because I was teaching online already. I teach uh, media arts at uh, SUNY uh, New York. And – But I, Esther and I had a little conversation before this. I, when COVID hit, I went uh, into my studio and I created a lot of work that I hadn't been able to do for some reason. The pandemic gave me permission to go kind of deep inside. So I'm really glad I had that time. Of course, now I have no time, (laughs) but that's okay. That's okay. So, yeah, COVID, uh, I, it's a very strange thing. I think we're all going to have to settle in and yeah. try to figure out how we can keep being creative and, and supportive.
1: Well, that sounds great. And we really appreciate you coming on Arts in the Air. Uh, that's uh, Dunes Arts Foundation for the Dunes Summer Theater. Elise Cremani, Tito Sanchez-Williams, uh, the managing director and artistic director, respectively. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, you know, break a leg in the upcoming season.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. We'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, Isabel Guggenheim. Uh, She's a Chicago-based, but she's from uh, Strasbourg, France, and she's launched her own brand. She has these wonderful scarves. Uh, We're using real imagery, uh, eye-catching luxury silk scarves, colorful, actually, works of art that you can wear. Uh, Isabel, welcome to Art on the Air.
6: Thank you, Larry and Esther. It's my pleasure to be in the air with you today. Um, yeah. I hope you can understand, you know, my accent. I'm going to try to speak really slowly, but I'm very excited to be in your show today. Yeah, welcome. Thank
1: you. Well, Isabel, I think our audience will just love to know about your origin story, how you got from where you were, where you grew up, and France, and how you got there, and origins so of how you get, get, are now in Chicago, your whole history <laughs> there. So just give us a little background there.
6: I do have an interesting story. I actually, uh, I'm originally from Saint-Dié-des-Vosges. It's a beautiful little town surrounded with lake, forest, good dishes, and wine. It is located uh, near the Alsace-Lorraine border, a mountain kind of town in the valley. And what's really interesting about Saint-Dié, it's his history and how it really influenced my artwork. Uh, just a quick story, in the 1500s, this town was a meeting place for map makers. Uh, they set up a printing establishment to represent the work of famous travellers. One of them was Amerigo Vespucci, and in the f- in 1507, the first map of the new continent was created in my town with uh, uh, the, the, the continent of, you know, America. And My little town, (laughs) which I invite everybody to go, was the place where the first name America has been printed for the first time. So it's, you know, it has a pretty nice um, history about it. And I invite everybody to go and, and see the, you know, it's beautiful. People think it's look like Canada a little bit, like a little bit of Canada. Um, And of course, you have uh, a museum. To see with the first map, uh, uh, Le Corbusier. If you know Le Corbusier, uh, was asked to build the city after the Second War, where everything kind of got destroyed, and he actually built a factory, which really nobody knows about it. Everybody goes to other location, but we have a a building that was built with uh, by Le Corbusier. So it's it's a little you know it's a little town, but with a lot of very Interesting story. So do the cartographers still meet there every year? Is there a gathering? Exactly. So every year we have the International Festival of Geographia, where the biggest name out there come and meet. They usually pick a country uh, or, you know, a a continent or a city, and then they, you know, they work around it. Uh, But it's very interesting. It's every year they gather and it's it's a major city for that so
2: and we'll talk about this later but your work is very influenced by maps I think because they, Ex- they very exactly. much remind me of like the bird's eye view of um, a place so but we'll
6: talk about that later continue where
1: yeah tell us a so, little bit more about like where you went to school and everything and how
6: okay you, how,
1: how you got to America um,
6: after that I went to uh, university in Strasbourg yeah, and got my master in art and and um, anthropology and uh what I was uh, so I spent time with the uh, for my study I spent time with the berber in uh, north uh, africa and um I uh try to understand uh, um how to study a culture not only with what you see but with all your senses Smell, sound, and taste. Uh, and what I was doing is harvesting all the sign of sensual evidence uh, that can define uh, a pattern of their culture. So I created a assemblage, a dictionary of smell and sound, uh, trying to understand and observe, you know, their rich culture, religion, and symbol. So I, I was, uh, as an artist, instead of studying a culture with your eyes, I was trying to put my whole body in work and trying to translate it in a giant sculpture. Could be very. So I got my master in that. Can you describe one for us? Yes. Like- I mean, again, it is related with the mapping system because I was, you know, I grew up in this um huge uh, environment of mapping and creating map and all of that. So I created this giant cone uh, uh, and under each of these cone, I had sound and smell and everybody had a map of where I was going and they were going through the, through the cone and try and, and they were smelling and listening to the sound that I was um, harvesting. uh. Again, like a map, huh? like, a, like a mapping system.
2: I know. And you do, like, I wish we had a visual today <laughs> because the paintings are just so rich. And I love how you take your photography along with um, all your experiences and put it into one beautiful piece. So I'm looking forward to everybody checking out your website to see your work. It's really Gorgeous. Yeah,
6: so I do have, uh, I'm, I, I, I design scarf, and I, uh, I've been uh, pretty well known for the scarf business. Uh, but I'm also, of course, an artist. Uh, and all my work is um, a collage of very um, simple sign and inspiration and primitive sign. Uh, so, yeah.
1: So tell us, uh, we want to continue your journey. So you're in uh, France. What brought you to the United States?
6: I mean, everybody wants to come here. <laughs> it is the land of opportunity. Uh, I, I, I came here, uh, in the, on the summertime in 1997 and just fell in love with, with the people, with, you know, uh, nature, with, with everything. And I was, um, just trying to find a way to stay here and I got offered a job. Um, in the design world, so that's where I started my adventure.
2: Did it? Did you go from France to Chicago, or were there other stops? Yes.
6: No, I, I went to New York, and I I did a, a road trip in Maine, north of uh, east side of uh, of the U.S. But Chicago was the place I wanted to be. Uh, and
1: what what brought you to Chicago? What what was the attraction of that uh, Chicago?
6: A job. Huh? <laughs> well, job is important. I had a job. Somebody gave me a gave me work here, so I stayed here.
1: So, tell us a little about uh, who you work for prior to setting up your own uh, your own uh, business.
6: Uh, I work in the design industry. I work for uh, a, a pretty famous company called Luminaire in Chicago. Uh, they sell they, rep- they sell a, a furniture uh, European furniture line. Um, I worked there for four years and then I went, uh, I worked with Holly Hunt, uh, which is a pretty major designer and design furniture place in Chicago. I was the uh, lighting and uh, accessory uh, uh, director for the company. Uh, I learned a lot from her. I learned uh, how to pay attention to detail. I learned about proportion. I look about, I learned about um you know people skill and vision uh she was a she was a huge influence for me uh, and then after that i opened my own uh, lighting company with uh, um another designer kevin Whaley and i pretty much traveled the world uh, for him to find uh showrooms and uh and um an agent to represent the collection now uh, uh so i I was, you know, fortunate to to go to different places in the world: uh, Asia, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, uh, Europe, everywhere in Europe. So I travel everywhere for him, and that kind of opened my eyes eyes to the world. So during this whole time, were you painting? Yes, of course. Huh? I never stopped. Huh? Yes, I I was experimenting with uh, with wax, with ink, with collage. Uh, I was picking up stuff on the floor when I was traveling, uh, uh, taking photo of you know uh, different uh, people, culture, anything you can do when you travel. Indeed, and so,
2: um, and so you said then you this was the lighting was right before you opened your own business, and so when did the scarves?
0: Because you're, you're, you're
2: very you're yeah. very well known for your scarves. They're yes. all over the country, the world. So.
6: Yeah, so I um opened the scarf business about uh, 4 years ago. Yeah, so about 4 years ago and it's been a it's been an adventure. Uh I participate it uh, I started the the adventure here in Chicago with uh, one of a kind. Uh wanted to see how my, you know, this work will be um how people will react to the work. And then I went from one of a kind that gave me confidence to um, approaching, um, uh, museum and different boutiques, and I got picked by Le Louvre, uh, uh, in Dubai, which has a beautiful building, and, um, the MCA, the Art Institute, uh, uh museum in Palm Beach. I mean, different museums, uh, everywhere in France, in,
2: uh, So places. I know some of the scarf designs are. From your paintings, but do you also just do designs for the scarves or are they all based on your paintings?
6: No. So designing a scarf is very different than doing a painting because huh? you have to bring the color to the face. Huh? So when you design a scarf, you have to focus on the edge or on the, you know, the, the, the extremity. Uh, to the opposite, a painting is, you know, I, I, I work much more on what's happening in the, in the middle. When I structure a painting, it's a very different way. But what I do is uh, I use some sign or some scratches or some color, that detail of my painting that I mixed uh, with in my scarf. So I use detail, but not the whole painting. Because
2: I love the scarf where you included um, um, love letters in French, old, ancient love letters, right? and so you yes. mix that with other images and maybe a photograph they're just so interesting
6: yes thank you i like the graphic aspect of the letters and the meaning of course i think it's beautiful to wrap yourself with love so this specific scarf that you are mentioning uh, i picked 25 love letters in a flea market in paris i uh, kind of did a coll- and i did kind of a collage with uh, one of my uh, drawing or a piece of my drawing. And I love, you know, seeing people uh, uh, putting this love story around the neck. Uh, I think it's it's very very sensual.
1: So do you use photography also in your work, uh, Isabel?
6: Uh, Not always, but it can happen, yes, of course. Photography is a part, I mean, it's a part of the work, yeah.
2: I I love the story about you taking the picture um, in your town of the 500-year-old window and then incorporating it into the scarf. I mean, I think it's just like such a beautiful inclusion of everything that you're about, you know. I mean, you take from all, like you say, all the senses are included in the experience. And then the final one is of course the wearing of it.
6: Yes. And, and then um, I, I, I do have every, every scarf has a story. Every scarf has a meaning. Uh, one of my favorite one is route 50. This one tells a story about uh, me. Uh, it's, it's the path from my school to my, uh, to my home. And you have uh Antenna. You have photograph of antenna, you have photograph of pavement, you have photograph of scratches on the floor. And I kind of mixed all of this in a collage huh? uh, to create a scarf. Huh? No, they're glorious.
1: Where can you uh, just let our audience know where they can uh, find you online? Uh, we'll, re- we'll hit this at the end of the show also, but uh, where they can discover you. Do you, do you have, a, first of all, an uh, in-house gallery that you can actually come see or is it all online?
6: Uh, yes. Yeah, so I have, um, uh, a place where you can see them in Bucktown uh, on Wabenza and Damon. Uh, I also, uh, you know, have boutique in different places where I, I like to send people. Uh, um, and of, I have a website, uh, com. I have an Instagram. So I invite you to check my work there.
2: You should probably spell it out because Guggenheim is spelled differently than the Guggenheim that most people probably envision when they hear that name.
6: Yeah, so it's G-O-U-G-E-N-H-E-I-M, like mother.
1: Very good. And Guggenheim. we'll also have a link on our website when, when we post your picture up. Uh, they can click on that and that will take them to your website. So so how's the pandemic?
2: What are you doing now? During um, so, what are you curious about now? Because I know it's you—you know—your curiosity that drives everything. So, what are you working on now?
6: Well, I cannot travel anymore, so I'm creating a new world, uh, in, in a new world inside. Uh, I've been developing a series of painting. Uh, that are the creation of a new world like where a very intricate and very simple uh, world with um, just daily life matter
1: you alluded to it but uh, how's the pandemic uh, impacted you and uh, you know and, and the second part of that question is what are you looking forward to do after it's all over
0: hmm.
6: <laughs> i just keep doing what i'm doing now uh keep creating and uh keep sharing to the you know, to uh, whoever is interesting what I what I'm doing. Uh, I hope I can inspire uh, some people. Uh, yes.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM.
2: So how often, before the pandemic, how often did you visit, um, go back to your hometown, or go back to France?
6: I usually go two times a year. I go in the summer, and I go for Christmas. So that's, uh, uh, my town has a beautiful uh, Christmas market uh, with a lot of illumination and, uh, you know, hot, uh, warm wine and uh, really nice food. So I like to go there during Christmas time and really feel the the Christmas spirit of the area. I am very close to the Alsace area, which are also very, uh, very well known for the the Christmas you know, Christmas market and the uh the ambience so
2: so how did this is just a, a a question about the scarves so how did you come about choosing the size of your scarf because it is very it's very large so it functions in many different ways but did you what was that process
6: it took me a while to find the perfect fabric and the perfect size. I was looking for fabric for a long, long time, and I found this mix of silk and modal, which it feels very soft and luxurious. So that was one step. The second step was the size. I was looking for a size that you can use as a shawl, as a scarf, as a surround, as many, many uh, different ways. So I like I like people to play with my scarf and, and use them, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of different ways. I don't like the scarf when they are too small. Um, and 54 by 54 is the size. And I just want people to play with it. Huh?
2: I know it'd make a very nice um, like halter top. They're very.
6: <laughs> yeah, you can use it as a top. You can use it as a dress. You can use it on the beach. You can use it everywhere.
1: Do you exhibit any of your other artwork other than scarves? Do you have those out on exhibit, or have you pl- had exhibits? I know currently exhibits aren't very common, but...
6: Uh, in France, I did, and here I, I'm i starting to. I mean, I, I've been selling a lot of artwork uh, directly, um, and right now I don't have any places in the U.S. Uh, beside my gallery, uh.
1: So, what do you get, Again, we didn't really touch on this. what are you looking forward to after the pandemic is over? Yeah, you know, because it's kind of isolated, all of us, and some people feel inspired by it by being in, and some people are ready to itch in to get out.
6: <laughs> um, it is inspiring to be inside because I think that you kind of reconnect with yourself instead of being everywhere. So, that was this was the kind of the interesting side uh, of being inside, but I cannot wait to get out and <laughs> As all of us. And be shown in, uh, in gallery and different places again. Now, huh? uh, I think that I cannot wait to, uh, to exchange with people, to be enriched with people. Um, you know, that's how you get inspired too. I mean, after a while, you, you can only be a little, you have, you, how much more inspiration can you have about yourself? <laughs> you need more. So. I need to be out there. I need to go travel and and meet people and uh and and be shown in gallery again.
1: So somebody that doesn't know you, tell us something about you that uh, you know, uh we would be interested to know about. You know, we've heard your background, you heard about your creativity, but what's something about you that uh, uh that people would like to know?
6: Um what about the rock climbing? I've been rock climbing all my <laughs> life.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's something. <laughs> Scarfs and wall climbing. Yeah, sure tell us about that. How did you get into that?
6: I started to do it about 20 years ago and, uh, I learned about, uh, I learned a lot about, uh, being outside and, uh, being with nature, connecting with nature and really pushing yourself to the limits. Huh? I mean, it's, uh, very symbolic, but rock climbing can be applied in so many other aspects of your life. So it's for me, it clear my mind and really push me to always, uh, do better think you know outside the box uh don't be scared and just keep moving yeah
2: there's a um it's extremely highly skilled but there's also a level of using your skill and then you have to trust that skill as well
6: exactly you have to trust your feet if you want to go higher exactly
1: and you don't do free climbing you do you you do rope climbing correct
6: I don't do free climbing. I do have a rope, but I, I go all over the world. So I climb the Dolomite. I climb in France. Uh, I will climb um, a beautiful place here. It's um, in Wyoming, uh, Devil's Tower.
1: Oh, oh, yes. In
6: Wyoming. Uh, I went to the top, put a little note. Uh, it was an accomplishment. Uh, uh, but, yeah, it's a really good sport, and I think it's very popular right now. They have a lot of gym in, in Chicago that uh, really allow people to experiment rock climbing, and I really push people to try It's so It's a very good sport. Uh.
1: Before we went on the air, briefly tell us about the origin of your name and the relationship to the famous Guggenheims. Well, you're famous too, but…
6: Yes, um, I, apparently I am related to the Guggenheim. It is not the same spelling, but it's the French way, uh, Guggenheim, uh, the, the French way of the name. Um, uh, somebody did my, my tree and told me that I was uh, related to, to Peggy. And somehow it come from, I come from the two brother in Frankfurt and I have a direct link to, to her, which, uh, I'm happy to know, but uh, I do not own a museum. (laughs) I don't have it yet. (laughs) But she would be
2: so pleased with your work, I think.
6: I hope so. I hope she will uh, think of collecting my work. That would be nice.
1: (laughs) So we just have about a a moment left. Uh, Again, tell us about your websites uh, and Instagram addresses so people can find your work, Uh, Isabel.
6: Thank you, Larry. My website is isabel, double L-E, Guggenheim, designs with an s dot com and my instagram is isabel guggenheim about any museum right the mca the- <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly find me at the mca the institute le louvre if you go to dubai to dubai um and different places in the u.s uh, Kansas, uh, texas um, uh, palm beach different places
1: well, Isabel, it's been a real pleasure having you on Art in the Air. That's Isabel Guggenheim. She's uh, Chicago-based uh, but comes from Strasbourg, France. Uh, uh, she has a great collection of scarves. She also does art. Uh, there, there are actually uh, multiple texts. You can see those websites, uh, isabelguggenheim.com and also Instagram. Isabel, thank you so much for being on Art in the Air. really appreciate you coming on the show.
6: Thank you, Larry, and thank you, Esther. And I hope Thanks. you have a good day.
1: And we'd like to thank our guests today for being on Art in the Air, which is heard every Friday at 11 a.m., rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts are Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President, Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum and Walt Brenninger of Paragon Investments. Also, Mary Levan is our Art Patron Supporter. Art in the Air is supported by the Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at art. On the air, WVLP at gmail.com. That's art on the air, WVLP at gmail.com. See you right here next week, 103.1 FM and 89.1 FM, Art on the Air.
2: Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week.
0: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know. Esther and Mary are on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther, are on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world